Apropos of wet snow, I wish to make a speech on my own part, separately, and then I will drink. I straightened up on my chair and feverishly took my glass, preparing for something extraordinary, and still not knowing myself precisely what I was going to say. Lieutenant Zverkov, sir, I began, let it be known to you that I hate phrases, phrase mongers, and tight-fitting waists. That is the first point. And the second will follow forthwith. Second point. I hate gallantries and gallantizers, especially gallantizers. Third point. I love truth, sincerity, and honesty. I went on almost mechanically because I was already beginning to numb with horror, understand, unable to understand how I could be speaking this way. I love thought, Monsieur, Monsieur Zverkov. I love true friendship on an equal footing and not. Hmm. I love, however, why not? I too shall drink to your health, Monsieur Zverkov. Charm the Circassian girls, shoot the enemies of the fatherland, and and to your health, Monsieur Zverkov. Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a podcast about meaning from SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com you can also follow our tweets at sync42 and at syncbook it's december 2nd 2022 and two and two is four is not life gentlemen but death or so we shall see on this our fall installment of the seasonal book club where tonight we mice shall find a home in the underground Dostoevsky's Notes from the Underground. Notes from the Underground is a novella by Vidor Dostoevsky, first published in the journal Epic in 1864. It is a first-person narrative in the form of a confession. The work was originally announced by Dostoevsky in Epic under the title A Confession. The novella presents itself as an excerpt from the memoirs of a bitter, isolated, unnamed narrator, generally referred to by critics as the Underground Man, who is a retired civil servant living in St. Petersburg. Although the first part of the novella has the form of a monologue, the narrator's form of address to his readers is acutely dialogized. The Underground Man attacks contemporary Russian philosophy especially Nikolai Chernyshevsky's What is to be Done. More generally, the work can be viewed as an attack on and rebellion against determinism, the idea that everything, including human personality and will, can be reduced to the laws of nature, science, and mathematics. I am a sick man. I am a wicked man. An unattractive man. I think... My liver hurts. How are you doing tonight, Snore? Uh, my liver also hurts. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, well, pretty you, good. Yeah. 
So this one could really hit really close to home if we... Um, but before we, we start considering our own culpability, let's, let's, let's talk about this thing as a constructive, constructed piece of art. Um, could you describe, uh, describe this work? You know, like um, there's something really interesting with the fact that it's written in two parts. Could you talk about that before we get into it too awful far? Yeah, maybe um, let's talk about the little preface that Dostoevsky put at the uh, beginning of this. Um, and the end. And at the end, yeah. So yeah. He that, so he said the, the author of these notes and the notes themselves are both, of course, imaginary. All the same, if we take into consideration the conditions that have shaped our society, people like the writer not only may but must exist in that society. I've tried to present the public in a more striking form than is usual, a, char a character belonging to the very recent past, a representative figure from a generation still surviving. In the chapter entitled The Underground, this personage introduces himself and his outlook on life and tries, as it were, to elucidate the causes that brought about, inevitably, inevitably brought about his appearance in our midst. In the second section, we follow this personage's memoirs of some of the happenings in his life. Um, so it's about, so the, yeah, like this is saying, it's um, the first part is basically the confessions of this 40 year old man, ex civil servant, like nondescript civil servant who um, just a year before something came into a bunch of money from a relative that had died and so he was he's able to retire and so he decided in his 40th year to to write down his his thoughts on on life basically and as he's doing that he he becomes i don't know nostalgic or something he wants to explain where these thoughts um have originated from and so then the second part of the story, which is, it gets translated in a bunch of different ways. Like the, the in, in mine, it's called uh, like the falling snow or something like that. It's not, it's sometimes it's like the uh, concerning the falling sleet or something like that, or the falling snow or apropos the whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so then he, then he, he's, talking back when he's 24 years old and it seems right. like he's, he's just starting it. He's, he's not, he's no more a student and he's starting out his, uh, his working career and, uh, he's basically explaining where things start to go very wrong in his life. Um, so that's kind of a broad overview of what's going on. I think the thing that I, that struck me at first that took me a long time to try and understand was it's almost like the first part is the theory and the second part is like the the praxis but there it's disjointed in that the part two is what leads to the theory in part one and so you kind of think about the theory like him stating all these contradictory things over and over again you know, like, 
I, I respect science, but I'm also superstitious. You know, like these different things, like both, like just a plurality of, of thoughts and ideas, all simultaneous, um, almost as like a justification of his behavior in part two, which is when, you know, so um, part two is, it feels more like, um, the the first part feels like one person speaking to a readership, and then the second part is more telling the story of you know these these different things that happened to him when he was twenty four or in in his mid twenties to lead to him coming to the thoughts of his his underground self. Yeah. So the yeah the second part is just it it's it's more of a conventional novel and then the first part is just this um yeah crazy interior monologue basically that's expressed in in writing um like a the confession thing, like you said yeah the thing that struck me about the note though itself is so uh my my translation spoke that, that had an intro and it spoke about the idea of the the generation that was alive in the in the 1840s versus the 1860s and so trying to say that you know in the 40s there was still romanticism so you know how he's always talking about the beautiful and the lofty everything's so beautiful and he was going to cry in his glass and then drink it you know like espousing the romantic ideals but then i think the 60s is kind of more when nihilism starts entering into the picture right uh-huh and so you know this is will be our conversation later on but you know trying to understand uh, what dostoevsky is saying versus what well so that's i guess we should just say that um like Initially, I wanted to think that maybe this was Dostoevsky, you know, like, it's it's hard to know, you know, it's like, because of those footnotes at the beginning and the end, you kind of, he inserts himself, you know, this is not him, he's not necessarily speaking for Dostoevsky, this is something that has to exist, and, uh, you know, this is what he believes, so... I don't know. So, uh, what kind of question can I ask you about that? Um, did you, you had read this before, yes? Um, no, not entirely. Like, I had this, I've been, I'd been meaning to read this forever, like since high school. And I think I made um, a few attempts at it. And for whatever reason, I didn't get through it. Like, I didn't even get through to the second section. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is the first time I've read it all the way through. Um, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I think I, it's a, it's good that I waited until this long to read it. Um, cause I've, I, I think I've understood it a lot more than I would have. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I just, I just see a lot more, um, deeper aspects to it. Um, I think if I had read it, well, when I was reading it earlier, when I tried to read it earlier, when I was younger, um, I thought of it as really depressing. Um, now, not so much. I can sort of see a different side of it. 
Well, now I, a lot of critics talk about the humor of this, and there are definitely yeah. times when I laugh out loud, but it's pretty kind of wry humor. Oh, the, some of it's hilarious though. Like when the the, uh, the part where he has a uh, toothache, <laughs> he's going off about <laughs> groaning just so that everybody else suffers with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I found it hilarious this time. That that was one of the things that that's maybe changed with me. I could see a lot of the humor in it. Um. Well, <clears throat> when it hit too close to home, when I felt like he was describing aspects of me, that's when, because I don't, I don't, I think I definitely read it a couple times over the course of the fall, and the the closer I got to him the more i disliked him yeah yeah i know i i could see myself in him as well and i i realized that um while reading it my my thinking process was becoming more like him <laughs> you know like just this just this cynical take on everything in life you know um and and uh his falling into the sense of superiority of, of him being cleverer than every, everyone else. But that at the same time, knowing that he's actually more useless than, than anyone, you know? Um, and that's, uh, yeah, it's almost like a defense mechanism. You realize how useless you are. And then to, to, uh, to sort of compensate for that, you need to think that, in some way you're superior so maybe it's your your awareness or something um but it, it it turns out not to be you know like that's that's sort of the uh one of the key points to this whole thing um and why why it's such a uh like a psychological novel you know um Dostoevsky was known as like a great psychologist before there was even such a thing as psychology, um, as psychology, you know. Um, so you, you can tell by reading this, it just, um, he goes into every single facet of his character and then, uh, and then like you said, shows the contradictions that exist there. Well, had you have you read other Dostoevsky before? Yeah, I read. Um, I read. I've read the uh, Brothers Karamazov um, quite a long time ago, and I loved that book. And then just recently, well, fairly recently. Oh, you when read we, the Idiot. Yeah. yeah, I read the Idiot when we were doing the recognitions, um, which we can talk a bit about um, today too. But uh, yeah, so. Um, yeah, so there's that side. The, all of his works, of course, fit together as one piece, you know. And I, I understand that more and more now. Um, now I want to go back. I want to read Karamazov again, and I want to read um, Crime and Punishment, which I haven't read, and The Devils, um, mm -hmm. at least. I've got, I've got also The Double here, which is um, a novel he read before he went to um, uh, prison. Um, so that was sort of before his uh, his great period. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe that's what we could talk about a little bit. I don't know. Uh, you probably have looked into this about his, his sort of background and what happened to him. Well, I think he was part of a 
kind of a revolutionary writers group, and I yeah. and I think Turgenev, Turgenev, man, I, I my Petrushevsky circle. Yes, but there was a. I think there was a another pretty well known famous Russian in that circle. Um, at, he had to borrow money from them at some point, oh, and he yeah. okay. really resented him later on. Um, y- yeah, so the interesting thing, I, my takeaway from some of my Dostoevsky bio-reading is that um, I think he, was, he became quite religious. Mm-hmm. But, so like that was one of his core things, but he ex- explored. So like in the brothers Karamazov, I think one of the brothers argues very well against religion, and so it's yeah. interesting. Ivan. Yeah, that someone, you know, who has faith would be able to, to you know, be able to voice the opposition to his faith so well. Uh, there was. He, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that. Um, uh, yeah. So he was involved in this um, radical writers um, circle. So then he was sentenced in 1849. So yeah, he was involved. Sort of his radical period was in the 40s. Um, so he had, he had already put out a book at that time called Poor Folk, 1846, and that was very successful. And that's what. That's what brought him into the, uh, the spotlight. And then he got arrested in this radical group. And then he, um, sentenced, he was sentenced to death. And then at the last moment, he got reprieved. But then he got sent to uh, Siberia um, in penal servitude. Yeah, and he was there until 1854. Um, even longer. Yeah, and it, yeah. Yeah, he lived he lived in Siberia until 1854, and then and then he comes out of that, and then he writes uh, memoirs from the House of the Dead, which I haven't I haven't read, which looks incredible. That's in 1860, and then he re- he writes this one, 1864. So by the time he comes out of, um, before he went into um, his uh, before he was sent to Siberia, before he was sent to prison. Um, he was a radical um, anti-government revolutionary, basically, right at that time. And then he gets sent to Siberia. He has to. He's involved in like work camp or whatever, hard labor. And apparently, when he was there, he noticed um, two groups of people, radicals like himself, and kind of atheist and rationalists and all these things, um, socialists, I guess. Um, these guys were basically being, um, their minds were getting shattered from the experience, right? And then he noticed another group of people, uh, Christians who were there for whatever reason, like, they would be Orthodox Christians. And they had a, uh, and they had this sort of inner peace to them that he, that he, thought was attractive and then that experience is what um caused to be religious right so um a friend of mine here he's he was also reading um notes from underground and he started to read brothers karamazov and he said something like uh um 
Dostoevsky got Stockholm syndrome, right? Like he he <laughs> got sent to jail, sent to prison, sent to hard labor in Siberia, and then at and then in the end of it, he became a uh, reactionary, basically an Orthodox Christian and support of the Tsarist government. Um, but then I, I answered I answered him like if if that's the case like he he's he's the best mind control victim there is because all of his great books were written after that point, um, like starting with Notes from Underground and then all the 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 five great ones right um, so I, I I don't think that's the case I think he saw something there that went even deeper than his initial radicalism, which is I think we will get into that soon. Yeah, that that's interesting because I also think that he became more right leaning later on. When he came, of, when he came yeah. out of prison, yeah, well, yeah, or, or out of Siberia, I should say. Yeah, I don't know if he was in prison, but yeah, yeah. And then it was interesting because the bio I read, you know, kind of initially, my first at first I thought the guy was saying that. It, he's kind of his his books are juvenile that they're best experienced when you're youthful and i you know i thought that the the author was saying you know that it's his 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 work is just a little juvenile but that's i don't think that was the case it's just that because there's so much existentialism like you know you're really digging into the idea of belief or you know uh formalizing different forms of thought and things and young people you know so like there's uh i think it was the idiot that the guy was saying it's just like there it's just so much it's there's so much like he conveys so much nuance but it's it's not cut and dry that you really are caught caught up in all these different thoughts. Yeah, that's a big thing of of all his novels. Um, my friend was saying this as well. Is that he noticed this time that uh, Dostoevsky writes in types, character types, um, and I was checking into it. A lot of a lot of people have noticed that, and with other nineteenth-century novels, people were doing that as well. But it, with especially with Russian novels, like this idea of uh, the type the character type who expresses um, a particular point of view. But then the ideal f for the novel, for this this kind of school of Russian criticism, is uh, a character becomes a type, but at the same time he's individualized. And so he's a real character with all, like, um, as multifaceted as anybody, right? But But he still expresses a certain type. And so mm -hmm. uh, Dostoevsky throws all these different types together into his novels, and they they sort of all like bounce off of each other. And and because he's had personally so many, he has been those different types. Like he's been the radical revolutionary atheist rationalist, and then he becomes a kind of um, Christian Orthodox, and then he's met all these other different types that um, he does that so well. And so you, in his books, you do come up with the types, but like the ideal is each one of those types is perfectly individualized as well. Um, 
so the uh like the masterpiece of that is is brothers karamazov like you said with each brother representing a different type of of thought basically mm-hmm. well so that the other interesting thing about him was that some of the early stuff anticipates nietzsche but then some of the later stuff is happening at the same time that Karl Marx is doing something very similar, you know, like this. They're, they're in terms of um, the idea of a, of a holy Russia, you know, like, or you, like um, the, somehow with God and, and uh, society that, you know, Russia is going to be the, the place where, where God creates his the new the new Jerusalem kind of thing. Yeah, that's a key point. The especially that that phrase new Jerusalem. Like I was wondering about that too. Um yeah. with what he's saying in Notes from Underground about the Crystal Palace, right? Uh, I think there's a he's contrasting he doesn't mention the New Jerusalem, but I think he's contrasting those two things. Um differences but what were you saying about Karl Marx like what do you what did you say he was doing something similar that's what the biographer was saying is that Karl Marx was having like a similar idea about Russia and a lot of these theories are all you know like wrapped up into um the different societies that are trying, or like the psychology uh, philosophers that are trying to figure out how one should live, right? And, you know, how to structure a society. Um, but maybe we should try and, could, do you think you could you could state what the underground man believes in part one? You know, like what is what is his point? Um, yeah, he's got some. Yeah, maybe we should just get into some uh, some things of what he says because he's he's got some excellent stuff. Um, let me try to. I've got some. I've got some here. Um, but yeah, uh, like you're saying, he Dostoevsky or the Underground Man or both, and there's differences. We got to talk about that. Um, it gets called as the first wave of existentialism um and so it's dostoevsky and then and then kierkegaard and then later nietzsche comes in um kierkegaard i don't know enough about and i don't know the connection if if any between dostoevsky and uh, kierkegaard but it'd be interesting to, to to look at that like um it's something i meant to look up but i i didn't um but but uh just to just to read on that, like uh, so, I'll just I'll just read part of this. Okay, this is interesting. He said, uh, so a lot of this is in reaction to um, the book that you mentioned in your intro, which is uh, Chernyshevsky, yeah, Chernyshevsky or something, which is uh, Nikolai Chernyshevsky, which is what is to be done, and that was published in. 1960, uh, 1962, 1962, and then, 18. And, huh? 18? Oh, sorry, sorry, yeah, what am I talking about? Yeah, 1862, and then, uh, and then this one came, came out in, um, 1864. Well, I even heard that 
initially, Dostoevsky was trying to write a review of that book. You, you know, he wanted to review that book, but he couldn't do it, and so instead he did this. Ah, uh, okay, that's, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So maybe just to give a background of that. Um, but it's utopian in nature, right? Yeah, it's a novel itself, and it's... Oh, sorry, no. Uh, it was published in 1863. It itself was a reaction to, um, a lot of people think, of Fathers and Sons by Ivan Turgenev. And that book gets into what you were talking before about the different generations of the 1860s generation and the 1840s generation. That's an I've read that book. That's a that's a great book. So so uh, so what is to be done as a reaction to fathers and sons, and then and then this one, Notes from Underground, is in 1864. That's supposedly a reaction to what is to be done, and uh, so. Chernyshevsky, he was also imprisoned. Um, he was in uh, the Peter and Paul Fortress in St. Petersburg, and then he also spent years in Siberia. Um, and this book was about, uh, it basically advocates the creation of these small socialist cooperative. Um, but it's based on this idea, uh, based on the idea of already existing for like countless years of, of Russian peasant communes. But the difference is that um, he wanted it to be oriented towards industrial production and science and technology. So, so the idea of taking these uh, small, like uh, peasant communes, and then trying to make it industrial, right? Um, and then, yeah. So it's it's sort of a utopian vision of eternal joy in this world. Yeah, not not looking towards any transcendentalism, but in this world. And then in the book, it's the role of the intellectuals was to educate and lead the Russian peasants towards socialism and then philosophical materialism. Um, and so the idea behind it was men or humanity, individuals, human individuals are uh, by nature rational and and uh, if they are, if they act irrationally, it's only because um, they're unaware of their true goals, right? And so it's it's the role of the intellectual to direct them towards their true goal, and then they will naturally act. They will naturally uh, sort of be attracted towards that because we're rational uh, by nature. Um, so, so it's it's kind of this utopian vision, even of human nature, right? And then, um, uh, it, the influence of this book was huge, right? Like it's um, uh, there's a book, there's this guy Joseph Frank who wrote this this uh, biography of Dostoevsky, study of Dostoevsky, who said that uh, this book, what is to be done, supplied emotional dynamic that eventually made. Uh, the Russian Revolution. Um, so it was still it was still a big inspiration even by the time the Russian Revolution came, and inspired like Lenin himself made a famous pamphlet also called "What Is to Be Done." Um, inspired Kropotkin and Rosa Luxemburg and Emma Goldman and all these all these radicals, um, all these generations of nihilists and, and Marxists and populists and 
Um, so this is a huge book, like a huge, uh, massive influence. Um, and all it, it had this, this idea, this sort of enlightenment idea, um, European enlightenment idea that men are rational and, and it's possible to set up a, a rational, just utopian society on earth. Um, and, uh, that's what he's reacting against in this book. Um, so, so, uh, and it, it seems to be that it's, it comes out of, um, their different experiences. Like they went into, uh, I mean, uh, Chernyshevsky and Dostoevsky went into, um, the prison camps, right. From the same background, from the same radical background, but then their experience, they went completely different directions, right? Um, and so, yeah, so in underground, let me just read a bit of that. Uh, so it says, furthermore, you say science will teach men, although in my opinion, that is a, a super a superfluity, superfluity. How would you say that? Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> I've never tried to pronounce that word before. That they have not, in fact, and never have had either will or fancy and are no more than a sort of piano keyboard or barrel, barrel organ cylinder. And that the laws of nature still exist on the earth so that wherever, uh, so that whatever man does, he does not of his own volition. He does not of his own volition but as really goes without saying by the laws of nature. Consequently, these laws of nature have only to be discovered and men will no longer be responsible for his actions and it will become extremely easy for him to live his life. All human actions, of course, will then have to be worked out by those laws mathematically, like a table of logarithms and entered into the almanac or better still, there will appear orthodox publications, something like our encyclopedic dictionaries, in which everything will be so accurately calculated and plotted that there will no longer be any individual deeds or adventures left in the world. Then, and this is all of you speaking, a new political economy will come into existence, all complete and also calculated with mathematical accuracy so that all problems will vanish in the twinkling of an eye simply because all possible answers to them will have been supplied. Then the palace of crystal will arise. Um, so that's when it comes up with the, uh, the crystal palace. But the crystal palace relates or refers to there was an actual crystal palace like a, a glass house at the world's fair in london yeah and that was the and first so, that was the first world's fair basically in uh, 1851 and one of the things that is being criticized here is like the the western the european western ideals enlightenment ideals that were supplanting uh like the you, you know the Russian the the roots the you know the 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 soil you know, the you're not living under your own um, structure anymore you know you it's it's more of this European thing that's taking over the the Russian ideals and I think he's responding to that I before we run out of time um, so 
part one is the tract, you know, like we were saying, where he's he's detailing this philosophy in a contradictory style. But then the second part really details like three events that happens in his life. Um, so you have the first event being the debauch that he calls it, you know, where he spends a couple years wanting to be, you know, recognized by this, this lieutenant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the funnier parts for me is that he wrote, he wrote a, <laughs> a novel about the guy and had, you know, tried to get it published because the guy wouldn't uh, acknowledge his existence yeah can you can you explain uh how that worked like with the well, with the promenade and stuff uh well so it that's what's so funny is that it goes on and on i mean so like he was walking in kind of a a bad part of town for a while and then he saw someone get chucked out a bar room window and he thought oh that that i mean that guy's alive i i might want to have something to do with that and so he goes in there and this six foot tall lieutenant you know just picks him up and moves him out of the way like he doesn't even exist. Right. And that got under his skin. And so he followed him around and he learned his name. And then he, he realized that he would walk on this this promenade, you know, at certain times. And everyone would get out of this guy's way. And so the underground man decided that, you know, he's going to, he's going to, be his equal. He's not going to get out of his way. And and then he realized he needed fancy clothes. And so he, you know, he bought a, a beaver collar for his, his overcoat instead of the, the raccoon collar that he has. And he had to borrow money from his boss to, to do this. And like, it's just this big, long thing. And then he eventually ends up closing his eyes and they bump, and that's it. Yeah, he and bumps into him. <laughs> yeah, and that's they, it. And, and still, the guy doesn't realize. <laughs> right. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get this impression from this promenade, like it's this. Um, uh, I don't know where it is exactly in Moscow, but it's like it, it's in Moscow or Saint Petersburg. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe Saint Petersburg. Saint Petersburg, I think. Yeah, and then uh, so it's along a park or something, and everybody who's anybody strolls along back and forth along this promenade dressed as fine as they can be and then, <laughs> and then he, uh, he 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 sees them walking all the time and uh he finally gets his nerve up to bump into him and then he feels he feels great afterwards like he that's the happiest he is in the entire novel i think so, for a while right but then he's always up and down based on you know so like he goes to work and he's chatting with the guys and then he hates them all and, and then you know he he feels like they're above him and, and he then he feels like he's their superior but then the the second episode and this is the interesting thing about the work is apparently these different episodes relate directly with the Chernyshevsky book i think or they are actual Russian tropes because like the third event is the the at the brothel with the prostitute and I think a lot of the Russian liberal writers write about um, you know something with the prostitute you know like trying to reform uh, or save yeah, or, yeah yeah and so like that's a that's a trope but the to get to that 
to get to that third event with the prostitute, which is, I think, why he's creating this justification. Like, this is the thing... That nags on his conscience, yeah. 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 Yeah, how poorly he treated her. Like, he thinks that's that's the moment in his life where it all went wrong. Right. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But to get there, he went to this awful dinner, and I read his speech where he insulted... The guy who's the dinner in his honor, you know, the guy, he, he was going away and they're trying to celebrate him. And that underground man invited himself to the dinner and then ruined it. <laughs> that part is insane. <laughs> they're ignoring him and he's getting drunk and, and yeah. Just more and more obnoxious and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a hilarious part, really. But it, it's um, uh, at the same time, it's it's sad to read, like it's pathetic. And then at the same time, for me at least, I'm reading it and thinking of all the stupid things that I've done in a similar situation. You know, like um, so it's it's yeah, it's it's Dostoevsky again. It's genius how it's written. Well, that's forty-two minutes. Thank you for sharing it with us. Um, and we'll, we'll continue, of course, because we have to break apart the underground man from Dostoevsky and try and figure out what's going on there. But you've been listening to the 42-Minute Seasonal Book Club, a production of SyncBook Radio and thesyncbook.com. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, check out past shows or subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. Please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast, check out others. It's currently, all the SyncBook Radio archives are free. We also feature a great search engine to help you find what you need. Just type in Book Club and all the links will appear. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com. Thanks so much. And never, never will I recall this event with a 